I hope your stuffing was tasty and your turkey really plump and your potatoes in your gravy had very few lumps. I hope your yams were delicious and your pies took the prize and I hope your Thanksgiving dinner will not stay on your thighs. Just a little prayer for you. Um, my pies did not take the prize. I, I uh, baked six pumpkin pies and uh, burned them and threw all of them away. And then I made two more, and it was, um, they, they were like perfect. They, it, was, it was like a work of art. I'm so glad that God redeemed that. But we didn't have people stay around very long uh, for dinner. Uh, I think it was using Metamucil as a gravy thickener that might have, um, I don't know. But uh, actually... <clears throat> Uh, we were going to my wife's family's house, and then they called and said, uh, don't come. And uh, they said they were all sick, but I could just envision them, you know, doing it all without us because of basically who we are. And, um, but anyway, did you go out on Black Friday? I, I put on a black shirt. Solomon and I went on Black Friday, and... Uh, you heard about the lady that pepper sprayed people to get the uh, stuff she wanted. I think it was a Christian bookstore where she uh, was trying to, to get that. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I think it was. Well, <clears throat> today is the uh, asterisk on the 40 days of faith messages. And uh, Darren did an amazing job. Uh, I had so many people uh, say they were so glad I wasn't preaching that because he was, it was just a wonderful series. But I want to go back to the beginning of the series where Darren was talking about we have a choice to either live in faith or to be comfortable. Where um, it is um, learning to live by faith in the midst of pain and discomfort that, that we really develop our character and our faith. And it's when we endure hardship that our faith really shows up. I want to talk about that a little bit because we don't just do this faith thing and assume that everybody's going to be out there conquering the world and, and uh, using their newfound faith after 40 days of faith. No, just the opposite. There are going to be troubles and trials that are going to come. And the Bible has some very specific instruction on that. If you uh, will read with me from Hebrews 11, the end of Hebrews 11, and, um, and then through the, um, the beginning of Hebrews 12. Uh, right before this verse are all these wonderful things about faith and people whose lives were changed. And, and the sentence right before this even says, women received their loved ones again from death. And then we come to this positive thinker's verse, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. 
All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had promised something better, for God has something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. You know, the, um, I don't know if you heard this, but the Psychic Friends Network went bankrupt. And uh, they should have seen it coming. Uh, and we, as, as people of the faith, should not think that our life is going to be... We should see the, the struggle coming. It's going to come. We're going to experience horrific things in our life. Uh, my wife uh, is an incredible person. And uh, she arranged for us... To, uh, with the lights to go down to, um, on Thanksgiving morning, we got up at 5.30 and went down to uh, Riley Children's Hospital uh, to the burn ward down there. And uh, we fed the staff of both shifts and uh, the patients and their families breakfast on Thanksgiving morning. It was a, an amazing experience. But there was a little girl there who hadn't been burned. She had been backed up. Uh, her father had backed up over her in the riding lawnmower and cut off her uh, calf and her heel. Now, you can just imagine what that scene looked like. She had been there for 10 weeks, and the mother said that they were hoping that she might be able to walk again. She was on the burn ward because the, the wounds wouldn't heal, and then um, they're so good with with the uh, wounds. But she said, we're just hoping and praying that she'll be out by Christmas. And I just thought, boy, doesn't that put it all in perspective? What, what is it in my life that I have to deal with compared to something like that? Being that father who was the one that accidentally backed up over his own child. We're going to have things like that to hit us. And it's not something that we can avoid. Pain is not optional. Misery is optional. I was reading of uh, James Hall. He was 40 years old. Had the world by the tail, so to speak. Whatever that means. I don't know how... He, I didn't know the world had a tail. But anyway, uh, if the world had a tail, he had it by that. And, uh, and he developed... Got a head injury. Went blind. Uh, developed uh, asthma had a, an immune deficiency disease, couldn't drive, couldn't work, everything, 180-degree turn. He's a member of a church. He said, uh, I, I was praying for healing. I was doing whatever I could. And, um, and here's what the people said to me in my church. You're worse than an infidel because you can't work. 
You must have major unconfessed sin in your life or God would heal you. You're being reprimanded for not learning enough scripture. He says, I've learned that God is always faithful even though people are not. And God is willing to help even in the darkest hours. God is there for us in the darkest hours. He asks us to fight to the end, to not give up the faith. And I want to give you six things that can help us when adversity comes, when the trouble hits, six things that can help us endure with victory, fighting to the end. Now, if you look in your bulletin, I have provided a detailed outline of the message. And uh, if you'll just go to that and follow along, there are six simple things that I want to share with you. The first one is that you're surrounded. If we go back to Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, we are surrounded. This, this group of witnesses, these, you know, Moses, he's not dead. He's up in heaven. He's looking down upon us. Abraham, looking. Zacchaeus is probably in a tree somewhere looking down upon us right here. This should be good news to the paranoid schizophrenic who feels like somebody is watching them all the time. They are watching you all the time. You are right. We are wrong. We have witnesses that surround us, and, and God is there. Also, Job thirty-one fourteen says, He sees everything that I do, every step I take. But there's somebody else that's there too, and that is Satan. Satan is there ready to turn every moment of victory that you have into something disastrous. You remember the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt in the Red Sea and it parts and then it closes back up and, and the Egyptians are killed. What happens a few days later? The Israelites are out there going, oh, where's our food? We, you know, why didn't we stay back there in Egypt? We had steak and gravy and all this stuff. Nagging just a few days after this amazing miracle occurred. If you look at the, um, the prophet Elijah, Elijah had the best, biggest, most sensational barbecue ever held in the history of the universe where God barbecued a steer out there in front of Baal and all these other uh, these people and, and burned up the, the, the steer and the water and everything. And just a few days later, he's running from Jezebel in fear. He sees his, his God work, and then he's afraid, just a few days later, of a woman. Well, you can understand. But anyway, the, the, uh, I'll tell you, it's that way for pastors, too. If you were to ever see me out on the curb with a bottle of Jim Beam poured all over me and a big cigar in my mouth, it would be right after my best sermon. That is when God moves in at the moment of greatest victory. It's a good thing that there's football so I can yell at the screen and not people that I know and love and care about. But it's at the greatest point of victory that often we, we get too much into ourselves. I had this wonderful spiritual growth experience. I thought, man, my life's going to be different. And I've never come closer to having an affair just a week after that because I was full of myself. I was disconnected from other people. I was vulnerable. And every time God comes along and builds, helps us build our faith, Satan is right there watching. We are surrounded. God knows what's going on. We're surrounded. 
So remember that you're not just living your life. You're representing the faith. And people that have come before you with problems greater than you have survived and been victorious. And they are watching and they are expecting you to come through this. Second thing, when you feel like giving up, it means you need to lose some weight. Uh, I've, I've watched the, uh, the hoarding shows. You know, there are only about six hoarding shows. And some of you may be living in a, in a home where hoarding is there. And, and you just see this stuff all in this house. And I, I really believe that this clutter is a reflection of the heart and the soul and the mind that we carry around with us. We clutter our brain with all these negative uh, feelings of guilt and shame and our fears and our anger. It's all in there, and we're, we're carrying it around with us. And the Bible says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So we need to get rid of it. Quit hoarding this weighty stuff that's clogging up our brain. That's not from God. You think that's from God? That's not from God. That's from your past. That's from Satan. Do whatever it takes to get that out of your head. And then it also says, especially the sin that so easily hinders us. Now, there are three major areas of sin that I think Satan is using in a powerful way today. One is food. You could say that there has been a pornographication of food where it has become so enticing, so everywhere that it's hard to maintain a normal weight because of all of the food and the food advertisements and the fast food that is always fat food. Secondly, is pornography, is a big one. Men, even women, maybe uh, just out of curiosity, they look at a website and then boom, they are captured by pornography. And pastors are not immune. Rick Warren did a study. A third of all pastors had looked at a, at a hardcore pornography site within the previous 30 days. Two-thirds within the past year. It is rampant. And then money. If God can't get your soul one way, he'll do it through your money, through debt, uh, through, through financial struggle. And so if we are sinning, spending irresponsibly, uh, if we are into pornography, if our food has become our God, actually it's comfort that's our God. We use food to worship our God of comfort. We need to do something to change. And as Darren said, we're going to have a series uh, in the beginning of January on it's time to make a change. But you know why we don't change? We don't change because we have a big butt. That's right. Our butts are too big. I could write a book, The the butt-driven life. Because it is our butt that is controlling everything that we do in our lives. But I really was abused as a child. But, but I really am justified in my anger. But, but I, I, I've given everything I can. It's the butt that we need to lose. And when we lose our butt, we gain life. We gain life after the butt has been reduced. We need to reduce the butt in our lives. Get it down to a workable, uh, healthy size, little maybe, but not a butt. No butt. And make no butts about it. it it's a big problem. It's like St. Francis of Excusey. We've got an excuse for 
everything. So, you want to know what the sermon is about today? Somebody asks you, you say, well, it's about how big my butt was. And that, that, you can just share that with me. Third thing is we need to run our own race with endurance. Not the race of our, that our boyfriend tells us to run. Not the race that mommy tells us to run. But our race. The race that God has built specifically for us. Our race should be based, I've got an acronym that will help you remember this. Gifts, talents, strengths, loves, desires, and dreams. is will help you to remember that. Um, and then it's not based on the negative, the weakness, the hates, the inadequacies, the irritations, the nightmares. Uh, that's not what our dreams are based upon. And we can remember these. Whenever we're tempted to fall back into getting into someone else's race, not the race that we're intended. That's why we burn up and burn out because it's not the race God intended. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, the scripture says, Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13 says, So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weakened knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. So often we get into a little bit of trouble and we withdraw. We get out of the fight. We give up. We give in. And God says, get back in there. I'm not done with you. I can forgive anything that you've done, but you've got to get back in the fight. You've got to get back on mission. Teddy Roosevelt said it this way. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. We need to stay in the arena and fight to the end. Dare greatly. Many times we... We need to check our pulse because we're not doing anything that is daring enough for us to feel that we are alive. But God calls us out of the mundane and says, trust me, have faith in me. I've got something far greater than you can ever even imagine or ask for if you'll put your trust in me. The fourth thing is when we feel like giving up, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. All eyes on Jesus. Now, what do we put our eyes on? Our doubts. We wonder if it's, if it's worth it, if God cares. So my, my little boy, five-year-old Solomon, uh, hit his, this bone right here on a chair. And he said, Dad, I just don't know why God would allow that to happen. At five, he's asking one of the great faith questions of the world. We doubt, why in the world would God do that if God really existed? 
Discouragement. Boy, does Satan ever use discouragement. So discouraged. Get me wrapped up in all the discouraging things in my life, and I can't do a thing for the Lord, much less fight to the end. And selfishness. You know, I I think, well, let somebody else do it. I've done my thing. And so I quit looking at Jesus. Or laziness or disillusionment. I get my eye on a person, and that person fails miserably. Gets off track. And then I get disillusioned because my eyes were on the person and not on Jesus. Or criticism. You know, we're going to be criticized if we're doing anything. You may not believe this, but I get criticized for, the, for my humor. It's just, I just don't know where that comes from. But actually, I, I kind of sacrifice 15% of the congregation. So the other 85%... And, and I can have a good time. And so I have to not judge my performance based on the 15%. All of us are going to be criticized. Don't judge your own worth and value in, from God by somebody else's criticism. The Olympic runner said this, When I am, am in the race, I don't think about past victories that would cause false pride. Or past defeats that would cause false fears. I think of one thing and that is going toward the finish. He keeps his eye on the finish. Just like we should keep our eye on Jesus Christ. The great writer, the western writer Zane Gray says, To bear up under loss, to fight the bitterness of defeat and the weakness of grief. To be victor over anger. To smile when tears are close. To resist evil men and base instincts. To hate, hate. And to love, love. To go on when it would seem good to die. To seek after the glory and the dream. To look up with unquenchable faith in something evermore about to be. That is what any man can do. And so be great. We need to continue to look up to Jesus And keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who sacrificed it all for the greater joy that would come later. The fifth thing to remember is that your pain has a very bright future. Your pain has a very bright future. Just around the bend or just over the hill, if you will persevere, you will get to see God be God. You will get to see God do what only God can do. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. How many times? Well, we don't really know how many times. We've given up right before God was going to step in And bless our lives in amazing ways. The person who experiences victory perseveres even when they experience nothing from God. But they have faith that if I hold on to my faith, if I do the right thing at the right time, no matter what, God is going to come in and I'm going to have a harvest of blessing. My pain today has a very bright future. You can imagine the disciples on Friday. They're 
hero hanging on a cross, the defeat that they must have felt, the, the disappointment they must have experienced. There he was, lifted up, bleeding, having been beaten, having been tortured. What if they had given up when in just a few hours it would be Sunday and Jesus would, would walk out of a tomb? So often we give up on Friday and never get to experience the Sunday. I don't know what you're going through right now. It may be something that just is beyond anything I could ever imagine. And you think, Lord, how much longer do I have to endure this? I am struggling here. You stay right there and do what you're doing. And I, I guarantee you, if this Bible is true, on the other side, there is victory. There is a, a gift. There is an experience that you never dreamed you would have. And in fact, you couldn't have it if you hadn't gone through the bad stuff. So your pain has a very, very bright future. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, but I just don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. Uh, I'm not gifted enough. I, I'm a weak person. I don't know if you've noticed this, but God loves weak people. He uses weak people all through Scripture. Gerald Paul put it this way. He says, our lives are somewhat fixed by fate, partly in the cards. The power of positive thinking will not turn paraplegics into quarterbacks or the blind into astronomers. But while a leopard can't change its spots, it can change its habits. Genes may make us susceptible to diabetes, but we can reduce risk by avoiding obesity. Nature may play a role in lung cancer, but we can quit smoking. For in life, as in poker, you don't need a royal flush to be a winner. Sometimes, a pair of deuces, a weak hand played well, is plenty. Some of you, all you have is a weak hand of pain and perseverance. But you play that weak hand of pain and perseverance and you will win. You will experience the victory. That's not positive thinking or possibility thinking. That's the reality of the scripture. It has happened over and over and over again. And then the sixth thing is that we need to never give up and fight to the very finish. Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says... I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. That's what you want to be able to say about yourself. If you don't remain faithful, there are consequences. First of all, we miss out on these blessings from God. Secondly, we have a negative influence on people around us. Those people that abuse young children hijack their lives for their own pleasure. Those people that get involved sexually as singles, many times hijack a person into a relationship because of the power of sex and a relationship that was never meant to be becomes joined in marriage. So often we weaken the cause of Christ because we just simply are not willing to continue to fight. 
But God wants us to fight. Fight the doubt. Fight the weakness. Fight the desire to just give up. Never, ever give up. There are consequences when we do persevere. We get to see God do what only God could do. Your Red Sea will part. Your giants will fall. Your lions will be defeated. The areas of your life that are the biggest challenge, your dry bones will live and dance. Don't give up until you see it. Calvin Coolidge, who invented Kool-Aid, said this. He said, nothing, nothing in this world takes the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. You take that power of pressing on and the power of God together and you have the power to overcome whatever adversity you have sitting before you. There are influences everywhere. An economy that I can't even describe that's discouraging. An anti-church culture or anti-Christian culture where we're to be tolerant of everybody except Christians. A secular workplace. And, and then weird people all, all over. Look at us. And people in your family especially will be used by Satan to get you off course. Satan will, will make helpers out of the people that you need help from. And in fact, when someone in your family tries to get you off of your track of faith, when they try to instill doubt, you say to them, Hey, I heard that Satan would use people in my own family. I never dreamed that you would be Satan's little helper. What does it feel like to be used by Satan? There are weird people, weird influences. And then internally, we've got our past and our inadequacies and our mistakes and the turmoil that's there. All of these influences as a result of brokenness. In Texas, we say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it's all broke. That's, that's just the reality. It's broke. And in the brokenness, we have to rely on God's power and persevere until we see it all come together. We don't ever, ever have an excuse to give up on God. Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? We need to get in the arena. Hey, listen. If the Colts can go out on the field today, we can stay in the arena. I think I may write a book from Super Bowl to Super Hole or something like that. I don't know. But imagine getting out there and your record is 0 and 11. And if you lose, it's just more humiliation. And if you win, it's just 1 and 11. But who knows what is in store two seasons, three seasons, or four seasons away. You don't just pack it up because you've been losing. You persevere and you continue. 
1 Chronicles 19.13 says, Be courageous. Go out and fight for God. Deuteronomy 3.22 says, The Lord will fight for you. But the question is, am I willing? Am I willing to fight? Am I willing to fight to the finish? Or am I going to use my big butt to make an excuse to give up and not go any further than I am today? God is challenging you to move beyond wherever you are, to put on your faith, put your faith into practice. And I'll leave you with this. Don't ever give up on God because God has not given up on you. God has not, will not, ever give up on you. Isn't that good news? There's always a plan B when it comes to God. Don't give up on God. God has not given up on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and help us to persevere in your power. Help us to turn aside all the temptations that confront us, that would would throw us off track. Help us fight to the finish. In your name I pray. Amen.